Good morning. Well, this morning's sermon is on kindness, and it's my first act of kindness. I'd like to share with you what Mark shared with me before the service, which is today is ice cream day at Grader's, so all the scoops are $1.50. Since it's likely to be 110 degrees again today, you're welcome. And uh, what was the flavor of the month you just told me? Pina colada. So if that sounds good to you, I figured that would, that would at least get me good marks on the sermon if I gave you something to do, you know, very practical, hands-on later today. Uh, but this morning, what we're actually looking at is kindness, and we're looking at the kindness of David, but really to look at the kindness of David, we're going to look at also the kindness of God and then our call to kindness. And normally what I like to do when we're talking about a specific word like this for our topic, I'm Mike Jorgensen, by the way, I'm the assistant pastor. I just noticed we have some guests here on a mission trip that are uh, with us this morning. So I'm the assistant pastor here. Thank you for visiting with us and uh, thank you for staying. And we'll bring them up a little bit later uh, to be prayed for. Um, but what I normally like to do is take this word kindness and say, well, what's the opposite? And then well, then we'll kind of, you know, preach against that while preaching for kindness and teach them by contrast. And really the opposite of kindness would be meanness or wickedness. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, there probably isn't anyone here that I need to persuade them not to act meanly. I don't need to persuade you to, to not act wickedly. Uh, however, some of us need accountability not being mean, not acting wicked, but you don't need to be persuaded to do that. And so another, uh, not necessarily an opposite, but the enemy of kindness can be niceness. And so I'm going to talk about that this morning. And this is one that I think the church is actually much more prone to commit. And I mean both the church kind of in the abstract, but also our church. Even in our church, we struggle with niceness and kindness. And I'm going to read to you, you know, we read uh, we preached through the book of James during Lent this year, but I'm going to remind you of one passage there. Uh, James 2, 15 to 16, I'm just going to read it to you. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So do you see the difference that's emerging there? It's a nice, is it... True or false? It is a nice thing to say, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. True or false? That's a nice thing. That's, that's true. Is it a kind thing to say that with no intention of helping, no, you know, no avenue for help? Nah, not necessarily. And we're going to get into what that biblical word for kindness means, but I mean, and most of us even have to deal with that very example. That's what's so potent about the book of James, is that's still something we, we wrestle with. There's a particular highway exit in Cincinnati, very near my house, that every time I get on the highway, I have to have that debate in my mind. How do I deal with someone who is here without resources asking for help? And so that's what's so effective about James, and it might be nice of me to nod at them or make eye contact, uh, but I don't know if it's the kindest action. Now, you know, there's a lot of nuance to those type of situations, but What we get is that it's nice to say go in peace, but kindness would be actively contributing to that peace. It'd be helping meet their physical needs. And as people, we are much more drawn to niceness 
than true kindness. Niceness is something that uh, all of us are taught from a young age, at least most of us, uh, and it's something that is, uh, costs us very little. It's very easy to act nicely, but kindness requires much more investment in someone else's situation. Now, kindness is modeled for us ultimately by God himself, and it's the call to act uh, in others' best interest regardless of what they will think of you or their ability to repay you for it. So kindness, there's your definition. Kindness is the call to act in someone else's best interest regardless of who will notice and regardless of a person's ability to repay you. That's biblically what we see with kindness. And so now we are going to turn to Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 11, and I'm going to read it to you. It's on page... 260 to 261 in your pew Bible. And I'll just mention that another act of kindness is that I did not ask anyone else to read this because this is one of those chapters with some real biblical names. Uh, It'll be on the screens, but first I'm going to open us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather and to worship worship you. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would uh, bring your text to life for us, that you would... uh, reveal the truest and deepest meanings to us that you would apply them to our lives and that we would walk in the kindness that we have been shown by you. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Starting in verse 1. And David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him to the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of David, uh, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? that you show regard for a dead dog such as I. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord and the king his servant, so all will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be confused what happened here. Last week we were in chapter 7. And so we see... uh, we see David on the throne. We see Israel coming to a time of peace. And now David has to make good for all the promises that he made on his rise to power his path to the throne. And 
Uh, David had promised Jonathan, who was like a brother to him, his best friend, son of Saul, uh, he had promised to care for his family, family back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, if you're curious. And then two, two chapters later, which I preached on two weeks ago, 1 Samuel chapter 22 in the cave, after David spares Saul, they have that conversation afterwards, and Saul says, please promise not to cut off my offspring, and David promises. And so now David has a chance to make good on his promises, and this is important to note. He has a chance to make good on those promises, but no one else in Saul's family is left to inspect him or make sure that he's done it properly. It's just this crippled son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth. I know, you're thinking, that's a great name next time we have a kid. It's going to be Mephibosheth. Maybe a beloved cat. But David has a chance to make good on his promises and Saul's, so there has to be some drive to his actions that isn't, I'm going to get in trouble for breaking my promise. Someone will know that I didn't do what I said I would do. And the only thing binding him here is his own sense of loyalty, his own kindness towards Saul's family, towards Jonathan's family. It's his own integrity, his own need to keep his promise. Now, Mephibosheth is the last son of Jonathan, and he is crippled. And David has the option... We can reasonably say this. David could still fulfill his promise and do the absolute bare minimum for Mephibosheth. Saying, you know, he's crippled. There's not much I can do to help him. You know, I'll just make sure he has some food on his table for the rest of his life. And that will be fine. But, and no one is around to fault him for it. But that's not what David does. Instead, David restores all the land that Saul had and gives it to Mephibosheth and and make sure the land is taken care of for him. So gives him all the land. He could have given him, you know, 30% of the land, 50% of the land, 70% of the land. No one would fault him for it, but he gave him all of Saul's land, made sure it was cared for, and then said, you shall eat at my table once, twice, every Friday night, always. As often as I sit down at the king's table, Mephibosheth, you will be sitting there with me. And... Keep in mind, King David is a king. He's a political figure. Mephibosheth has absolutely no political value to David. There's there's no secret tactic. There's no good strategy about this. This is just kindness for the sake of kindness. This is him being loyal to his promises, to his words, and I believe uh, recognizing, one, that... Uh, Mephibosheth, even though he is crippled, is an image bearer of God, meaning he's made in God's image. And here's the thing. When we recognize an image bearer, when we see that someone else is made in God's image, in fact, every other person is made in God's image, we ought to be reminded of God our Father every time we look at another person. And if you're reminded of God your Father every time you look at another person and you're in relationship with that God and that God has been gracious to you while you were a sinner and he's been kind to you, how then can you look at his image and be anything other than gracious and kind to someone who's an image bearer? And that's what we see. We've seen it through David's story. David has been the recipient of God's grace, God's favor, God's goodness, even though David has done nothing to earn it. God's grace preceded the goodness, or the, the, any good actions that David has commanded. Now, that's, that's what's going on in the text. And what I'm going to give you here is just a brief 
overview of this. Now, I don't want to bore you with the Hebrew, but I'm going to. And now this is kind, not nice. Yeah. Thank you, Drew. But as we look at that word, the word in Hebrew, it's frequently translated as loyalty or it's covenant faithfulness. And it's usually describing God himself. And it's interesting to me. Now, I was talking to our choir director before this service, but I said, you know, this word is translated in this chapter as kindness twice at the beginning of the chapter. And it appears at the beginning of the next chapter and it's translated there as loyalty. It's the same word. And so it's this kindness, this loyalty. And then we get to uh, this concept and we go throughout scripture and you see kindness in the New Testament. Can anyone think of a place where the word kindness is mentioned in the New Testament? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And here's the, the definition of the New Testament word for kindness. And I think you're going to see a great harmony between the Old and New Testament here and the theme here. It is an event or an activity which is useful or benevolent. So kindness is something that is useful. Now, Niceness frequently, you know, engages in pleasantries uh, that aren't necessarily useful. They're just pleasant. You know, they're they're good-natured, things like that. But kindness is something that is useful. And the expression, uh, what is useful, or that which helps people, frequently comes across in the New Testament from this word, or that which proves good for people. In fact, in Romans 3, when it says that no one does good, no one seeks after God, it's actually using the, the word good there is actually this word kindness. No one does what is useful. No one does what is benevolent. And so I've got three points that I'm going to make to you this morning about kindness. And they all come from, uh, they come from this second Samuel chapter nine, but they also come throughout scripture. This is scripture's, uh, amazing harmonious testimony about kindness. And so here's the first one. Niceness is about avoiding evil. Niceness is about avoiding evil. Kindness is about promoting good. You see the difference there? If you don't, you will. Now, there's a very popular book, which I've only skimmed. Um, and it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, the author, he pulls out this idea of a character-based ethic versus a personality ethic. Now, I don't need, you don't need to write that down. But the idea here is that a personality ethic is one that is more concerned with external changes in social skills. Smiling, handshaking, eye contact while you're talking to someone. That's a personality ethic. But a character ethic, which is what he's advocating for, is a deeper change that means living according to new principles. So which one sounds like the call of the gospel. Are we supposed to t- change our external behavior and social skills, or is it this deep change according to new principles given to us? Deep change, yeah. Even if you don't believe me, you know the right answer. That's good. And it was, I was thinking about it, you know, if you watch uh, toddlers on the playground, even our playground, throwing mulch at each other and, you know, doing Lord knows what to each other, If you want to correct them, you say, hey, be nice, right? Stop harming other people around you. Be nice. Nicest in its simplest form is avoiding harm to others. But kindness is not a job just restraining myself from hurting someone. Kindness requires compassion, care, and empathy. 
We have to treat someone well rather than avoiding harming them. Now, being nice to people is a skill that most of us can learn, especially uh, if it means avoiding harm or giving them a friendly wave. But kindness is much more difficult because kindness has a cost. Kindness requires some investment, and in its deepest root, kindness means you have to see yourself, and more importantly, you have to see God's image in another person. And that's that's really the only way you can get to the deepest level of kindness is once you recognize someone else as an image bearer of God. And if you think about this, even in the terms of the Good Samaritan, which I'm not going to preach on this morning, but the Good Samaritan, the first two people go by and they probably rationalize to themselves. They're like, well, I didn't mug him. I didn't put him in that situation. You know, he maybe he owed money to the wrong people and this, he deserved for this to happen to him. Uh, and so they may have even acknowledged that he was there and smiled at him or something like that as they crossed the road and went around. And they could have even thought of themselves as nice people after doing that. But if you ask which one showed kindness, you're only left with one option, and it's the Samaritan in that story. So that's the first point. Main, niceness is about avoiding evil. Kindness is about promoting good. The second is this. Niceness is the result of or can result in legalism. And kindness can only result from the gospel. So niceness, legalism, kindness, gospel. Now, the primary diagnostic for legalism, as you've heard me say before and I will continue to say, is that if you are determined to do something and you do it well, it results in pride. And if you do it poorly, it results in despair. That's how you know you're serving legalism. If you are proud of your performance or crushed by your lack of performance, that is a legalism because you're trying to earn your value by something that you do. If I do this task to this level, then I'm a good person. And if I fail to do it, then I'm a bad person. And that is legalism. And it's a trap. It's like quicksand. Whereas the gospel, God comes in and God gives us our value. He gives us our good standing before him. We stand before him as if we were with Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness is given to us. And we no longer need to worry about appearing to be a good person because we are who God says we are. And so frequently at the root of niceness is this overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. This need for approval and validation can lead to people-pleasing. And do you know what the problem with people-pleasing is? You're never finished. If you are determined to be a people-pleaser, you will never finish that task. Because even if you're only trying to please the same group of three people, people are very finicky. People are moving targets. If you're trying to please people, uh, you will never hit that goal and you'll never get a lasting sense of approval or validation from being nice, from earning people's favor through niceness. Because even if you make them happy for one day, the clock, the score resets every single day and you're just, you're always working from behind. On the other hand, kindness is what God shows us in the gospel. Kindness is helping someone who can't possibly pay you back, which he has done for us in our fallen and broken and rebellious and sinful state. It's someone who can't possibly pay you back. And kindness is not only forgiving your enemies' sins against you, but dying to do so. And you see that God is the supreme example of kindness. And niceness is a way to be thought of well by others, but kindness does not always earn us such favor. 
In order to do what is good, what is in the other person's best interest, it may not be the thing the person wants to hear at any given moment. You see the difference there? The kindness is this genuine concern for another person, and sometimes that genuine concern has to lead you to say things that can be a little less than pleasant, things that wouldn't even be considered nice. Now, they're not always in contrast like that. Sometimes it goes better than that, but niceness is kind of a drive-by kindness. It has the appearance of kindness, but without any investment in the other person or in the relationship with them. God's kindness is deeply invested in our problems so as to take on flesh and assume the burdens of our shortcomings while giving us grace. And as Christians, we love because he first loved us. And so only people who have received this level of kindness, the kindness from Jesus Christ on the cross in the gospel of Jesus Christ, only people who have received that level of kindness can practice that level of kindness toward other people. Because at our best, when we are acting kindly, we are reflecting God's kindness toward us. And so do you see how that's different than just learning how to, how to act nicely, how to um, treat others well? And this is what we see in David's story. In 2 Samuel, David was able to show kindness because he had been the recipient of immeasurable kindness from God. And his kindness toward Mephibosheth is a mere reflection. It's a mere imitation of the kindness that he first received. And the, uh, you might even call it a family trait in the household of God. And so main po- the first point was that niceness is about avoiding evil. Kindness is about promoting good. Second is that niceness is legalism. Kindness is the gospel. And the third is this. Niceness is self-oriented and kindness is others-oriented. Now, that's language that I use a lot, too. And the reason I use that is because of Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment of all was, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning, the Christian life, according to Jesus, is defined by an others-oriented nature. You find your sense of self, your sense of meaning in Jesus and in God, and you are able to live in others-oriented life. Your life is now about lifting up others, and we put others' needs first. A nice person conforms to what behavior that whatever behavior society tells them is nice, which, by the way, changes on a month-to-month basis. But a nice person conforms to that behavior, and then a nice person is concerned for another uh, a kind person sorry, is concerned for another person as an image bearer of God. So one of those is a fixed eternal standard. You recognize someone else as an image bearer of God, and that is the root of your kindness, whereas niceness is this uh, social convention that can change from year to year, month to month, season to season. And niceness, whatever we may think about it, is focused on the self. Now, it may be defined by how we interact with other people, But its primary concern is with being perceived as a nice person, which means there is even this quid pro quo to niceness. Society will teach you if you act this level of nice, if you have this level of manners, you will be thought of as this nice. You may not be that nice in your heart. You may not be a kind person deep down. But if you act this way, we will reward you with this uh, level of notoriety and fame as a nice person. 
Namely, if we act in a certain way, then we are allowed to think highly of ourselves. That is at the root of niceness. Now, the problem is that's still thinking primarily about the self. Kindness is thinking instead of ourselves, uh, as Paul says in Philippians 2, in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. And this, this is the, by the way, all this talk about self and other self, the, I think the best way to think about it, and I can't remember who said it, someone I'm sure will tell me between services, but someone said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So it's not thinking less of yourself, it's not just beating up on yourself, that's not humility. Humility is, I'm no longer concerned with myself, I'm concerned with others. And that's the transformation that we can only take, once again, once our identity, once our purpose, once who we are has been secured in Jesus Christ and in that relationship with him. And so the only way to truly focus on others is if we are secure in who we are, and we only get that security from our relationship to God. And so if our primary love, primary love is God, then our sense of self will come from who he says we are, And that frees us up not to worry about ourselves, but to focus on others and to act kindly toward others because we recognize the kindness that we have received. Now, there are two different approaches here. When I talk to you about niceness versus kindness here, I think there are two types of people that are listening. And sometimes I go back and forth between which one. But the first one is this. You find niceness easy, but kindness seems like a lot of work. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if you're in that category, you say, you know, it's, I find it really easy to be a nice person. I'm very friendly, I'm very outgoing, very extroverted. Uh, but kindness would be a lot of work. Kindness means instead of just smiling at people in the atrium, I invite them over to my house for dinner. You know, I open up my home to them. Uh, and kindness would be learning about what's actually going on in their week instead of when someone says, hey, how's it going? And they say, I'm fine. Uh, that's nice. Actually finding out, you know, oh, their mother's in the hospital. That's, uh, and then finding a way to come alongside them is kindness. So the challenge for you is to push past niceness into kindness. And the way to do that is you ask yourself this question. How would I want to be treated if I were in this person's situation? Or better yet, how did God treat me when I was a sinner and outside of his family? Now, if you can't answer that question... You're never going to be able to answer the question of how to care for others. So start there. But if you struggle with being nice but pushing through to being kind, then you need to reflect on seeing others as of equal and even greater than yourself. And you need to reflect on them as an image bearer of God and remember all that God has done for you. Now, that's the first type of person. You may be listening to the sermon. You say, I'm nice. Don't know if I'm always kind. Now, there's the other type. These people are they're a piece of work, and it's usually me. These people are the ones who are listening to this and they say, you know, I pride myself on straight talk and blunt truth, even if it doesn't conform to society's definition of niceness. Because Mike just told me that that's kind. No, I didn't. My famous, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can go be a jerk to people if you think what you're telling them is in their best interest. Because while kindness does not always earn you favor, it should generally serve to build up 
relationships. Kindness should generally serve to build up relationships. And so while kindness doesn't always earn you favor, it should build up those relationships. And straight talk, blunt truth, that kind of attitude is frequently done out of convenience for self rather than concern for others. Right? It's a lot easier if I don't have to filter myself and think about how someone will receive what I'm going to say. If I can just go out and say it, that's kindness. No, it's not. And so kindness and niceness, they do have some overlap, but kindness has a much deeper intention. And when we look at God's kindness toward us, it is grace-based. And it is meant to instruct us how to act kindly towards others. And the only way we can truly act kindly to others is as one who has experienced grace. Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for... Uh, the challenges that it issues, the application that it provides, and the light that it shines on our path as we go forward this week. We pray that uh, you would use us as conduits of grace to a fallen and broken world uh, that is full of pain and full of hurt, that we would shine your light, that we would provide not mere niceness but true kindness toward others. We ask uh, all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.